Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. I am Pastor Hayden, and I'm back. I'm grateful to be back. And with me is Pastor Evan. Hello there. And at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Did you have a good vacation? I did. It was great. Got to see the in-laws. It was wonderful. Did you have some Kansas City barbecue? We did not have any Kansas City. Kayla and I, we, we could do without some barbecue right now. Anyway, moving on. Uh, current series, guys, we are smack dab in the middle of our Kingdom Happiness series. And in this sermon, we learned what it meant to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Not for barbecue, though. Not for barbecue. Definitely not. Matthew 5, 6, Pastor Evan. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That was pretty smooth right there. That was, that was a good. good transition. That was good. Now it's not, but it was. It was. It was all good. So, Pastor Hayden, what was the main point of your sermon on Sunday? The kingdom happiness is experienced by those who are counted righteous before God through Jesus Christ and who obey him. That's it. That was very good. That was the one. Well, how did you how did you come to that point but through the text <laughs> well well that was a well-played pastor move right there well 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 done i have i have nothing more to say this uh, this is over no but you know how did this draw you from the text to your to studying us as a church mm-hmm. to this point yeah blessed is that word makarios right so it's kingdom happiness it's a happiness that isn't just experiential but is positional is when it comes to your place in god's kingdom and here in, in verse 6, that Makarios, or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Where does the ultimate satisfaction of righteousness uh, uh, come from? Well, God in Christ, uh, but in its culmination in the kingdom of God in eternity. And so uh, the most full example of that that has ever been, ever will be, is the kingdom to come. Uh, now, there are some other places, I don't want to say lesser, but there are some other places where we will be satisfied in righteousness uh, as we work through the Christian life. And they are in the three stages that we talked about. Uh, it is uh, that we would be justified in Christ, His righteousness, not ours, and we would be saved through His righteousness. So it is uh, justification. And then sanctification is another place that we are able uh, to have our desire for righteousness satisfied like as we grow in Christ, and the culmination of that in our glorified state where full, complete righteousness is uh, held uh, and experienced in us, and we find our ultimate satisfaction in that righteousness to come. And so that's really what this text is talking about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied, satisfied in the fact that we are the righteousness of Christ now, satisfied in the fact that God is growing me in righteousness, and ultimately satisfied that I will be completely righteous. All right. Well, he have three points, finding satisfaction in Christ's righteousness, pursuing, or for us to pursue progressive righteousness, and long for complete righteousness. Mm-hmm. Well, point number one, so come back, finding satisfaction in Christ's righteousness. This is justification, or another way you put it was, well, not just you. Put it in a lot of ways, yeah. You put it in a lot of ways, but also yeah. positional righteousness. righteousness justification, and, regeneration. So uh, real quick, I guess 10 second answer, what, what does positional righteousness mean? Obviously justification, regeneration, but what, what does it mean positional? What does that help our church? Positional righteousness is simply that in the presence of of God, I am found to be righteous 
in my position, right? I, my positionally, I was an enemy of God, but now in Christ and His righteousness uh, imputed to me, I am now in a position of righteousness before the Father. Now, with that in mind, why is this new position in Christ more satisfying than any desire sin that we could have in this life as as believers in particular? Yeah, yeah. yeah as a Christian, I recognize that I am beloved by the Father because of the Son. Right, I belong to the Father uh, because because of Christ, right? All, all of the longing that I ever had uh, to be right in the sight of God is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I'm satisfied in that, that in eternity, like as far as, as, as time goes, I am always, 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 always beloved by the Father. And I find my satisfaction in that, a satisfaction that I would not find in my sin because all the desire of sin is fleeting. Uh, it is perishing and uh, my life is perishing right? outside of the righteousness of Christ and the life that I'm going to uh, be inherit through him. It's like, so in, in my new position, I have all that I need for my hunger and my thirst to be satisfied in Christ. I love it. And I can even think of the woman at the well. It's such a great illustration of that. She was hungry and thirsty and she was pursuing, it wasn't really water, really is her sexual lust with men. You mm-hmm. know, if you look at the text, it was, she's with her fifth man, who wasn't even her husband. She's been married three or four times prior. And yet she finds satisfaction in Christ. And what she did, she dropped everything, including right. the water jug and said, come and meet this man who told me what I've done. And she followed him. Let's, let's, let's do a little bit of a pastoral tennis. We'll go back and forth. Uh, Zacchaeus, right. The same, same thing. Zacchaeus, right. I mean, had all of the, the sin and the desires of the flesh fulfilled in the way that he did his job. He, he stole, basically. He uh, took from people things that weren't his. He, uh, he was deceitful. Uh, he comes before Jesus, and he says, that's all of that stuff, worthless. I'm not satisfied, but I'm satisfied in Christ. And, and he then does all of the fruitful things of, of what a Christian would do and you know, making things right and getting rid of all those things and then pursuing Christ because at the end of the day, he says, I'm satisfied in Christ. Are you even thinking of the demon-possessed man that we're actually going to talk about in our DBR spotlight? Mm-hmm. Shout out. And how he was possessed by demons. He is set free where his, I guess, former family and friends said, go away, Jesus. He said, Jesus, can I follow you? And Jesus said, no. Actually, you need to go back where you came from and tell what happened. And so he is fully satisfied to follow Christ, even though Christ is going the, the physically the other direction mm-hmm. that he wanted to go. He's fully satisfied to go, no, he's delivered me. And I'm fully satisfied, even though I'm not in his presence right now, but to go and do what he called me to do. Right. Uh, Peter uh, and the disciples, when he said, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to follow me. And all his disciples were like, that's ah, crazy, I'm leaving. And then Jesus says, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, where else should we go? Righteousness is here. You have all the answers to life, and I am I am satisfied by you. I don't I don't need to go anywhere else. Even if what you say is hard and difficult, and I may not understand it. I am satisfied in you. Wonderful. So I mean that hopefully encompasses some helpful illustrations in Scripture to help you understand what it means for you to hunger and thirst. And I want to ask one more question, Pastor Hayden, in this point. Mm-hmm. is What does it specifically look like for a Christian to continue to hunger and thirst for a right position with God? Remember in the sermon, as we transition to pursuing progressive righteousness, we understand that my justification, that I am imputed the righteousness of Christ, doesn't uh, satisfy my desire for righteousness as much as it actually heightens my desire 
to pursue righteousness. And I actually have an actual ability now to uh, attain uh, a progressive righteousness because I have the Holy Spirit in me. And so he is producing in me an ability to walk in righteousness. So I have the imputation of Christ's righteousness that positionally uh, decrees me legally, forensically, right in the sight of God. And then from there, I have the Holy Spirit that Christ promises to give you at salvation, who then is going to increase my hunger and thirst and drive me toward a lifestyle that is pleasing to God in my actions and my decisions and my choices. Now, I want to ask kind of the flip question. Actually, it's kind of application question number one. It's taking the principle behind it. What counsel would you give someone if they realize I am not really that hungry or thirsty for, for God. Question number two, you mean? Question number two, that's what I meant to say. Uh, yeah, so here's the deal. Remember, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So transparently through Scripture, if we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, uh, I mean, there are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness who are not yet saved. So we at least have to start there, because to be saved, you would first have to hunger and thirst for righteousness that is alien to you. You don't have it. Uh, and so even when we think about somebody who doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness, we think, well, man, they're, they may be far from salvation, far from salvation. Now, there are people who may be saved. I'm trying to think about how that would work, that you wouldn't hunger and thirst for righteousness because you are uh, not being, that you are not walking in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, which I would just find Still very difficult. It's kind of what you mentioned impossible. in the sermon. Someone who maybe has given as a Christian to, you know, we curb the flesh of the desires as we cooperate the Holy Spirit, but then has been giving in to them and has led into conviction. I can think of maybe uh, Peter giving in to the pressure of disassociating himself with the you know Gentile believers, the Greek believers, where Paul had to rebuke him and Peter. But don't you think that he, even as he was in sin, that he didn't have a hunger and thirst for doing what was right? Just yeah, he probably did right, and that and that's my concern, right? Exactly. With somebody, if you don't have any hunger and thirst for righteousness, I would find that you'd probably be in a safe place to assume that you're not saved. And I mean that's strong, but that's I mean that's the whole point of this exact text in yep. its context is blessed are those who do because they're going to be satisfied. And Jesus is challenging their listener of right. this to say, where do you stand? Yeah, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? If you don't, you should right. ask it. And actually a good text that I like to give people is Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart and search my mind and see if there's any grievous way in me. So if this is you where you're like, I don't really hunger and thirst, I think you need to have a good conversation with God. I say, God, help me to see biblically where I stand right. and why I'm not hungry and thirsty and to be humble to the response of the Bible, uh, what God through his word gives you. Yep. All right, well, going to point number two to move on for the sake of time. Pursue progressive righteousness. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, you mentioned this in the sermon. I want to let the help our church. We told this to our life group leaders, but I think it'd be also helpful for, for us as a church. And, you know, we can look at the Pharisees and like, oh, they're dumb. And you mentioned, uh, at least in the 9 a.m., about how in the you know Jewish culture they have specific elevators and ovens, mm-hmm. uh, actually, you know, um, ovens as well. I don't think I used the elevator in the oven. All right, well, there's a special elevator that the Jewish people, especially in Israel or places yeah. where there's a high population of uh, Jewish people, where the elevator goes to every floor because they would see it, well, it would be work okay. to it, push a button. All elevators go to every floor. But... Ah, <laughs> I, oh, oh but man, I'm going to sit over here now. 
<laughs> but the Jew, Jew, Jewish elevator goes to every it goes it stops to, at every floor. It goes to every floor and stops automatically without you pushing buttons because to push that button and to create that spark or that quote unquote they would look fire right it would be work. And so in order to not break. Uh, the Sabbath, they have an elevator where they don't even have to push a button. Now, we can look and kind of chuckle, but I would say you, you, we got to pump our brakes because, like you said, the Pharisees are being challenged in the way that they lived, and you and I can get caught up in that. The re- and I bring this up because the Pharisees made these rules because they wanted to obey God, and they feared breaking the law so much they added more rules right. so they would be... 20 yards away rather than us. We're like, how close, what, you, what kind of movie can right. I watch? Right, and that's what we do as Christians, right? How close can I get to sin without sin? And they were, how far can I get away from sin? And in that, they actually sinned because they uh, lumped burdens on people that they couldn't carry and that neither did the uh, Pharisees want to carry. And so with that, you know, the Pharisees added law so they can try to be holy. How can we fall in that same trap as, as Christians? Uh, one of the easy ways to do that is to take the way that you apply how not to be in sin uh, with the life group leaders who use the topic of drunkenness, right? If you if you struggle with drunkenness and you say, well, okay, for me to not be drunk and to not uh, be tempted to do that, I'm going to never take another sip of alcohol. I'm going to not associate with people who do because when I do, it actually draws me into that and so on and so on and so on. Uh, to be pharisaical about that uh, would be equivalent to you saying, that's what I do and now you all have to do that. And if you don't, if you don't stay away from alcohol the way I do, then you're sinning. You're, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't be drunk. Don't get drunk. That's the line of sin. Uh, you, by moving that back, may be a great application, but it becomes wrong and unbiblical when the way that you apply it has to be the way everyone else applies it. Unless the application is very straightforward, and it is, don't get drunk. There's <laughs> your application, don't do it. Now, how you choose not to do it is an application uh, to the discretion of the hearer, but making everyone uh, abide by your application would be wrong. All right, which leads right into the, my other question under pursue progressive righteousness is, what does it you know look like for the Christian to cooperate with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? You know that kind of idea mm-hmm. kind of seems a little ethereal, right? Do like is it you know is it kind of like like photosynthesis? Do I sit there like a plant and just kind of grow with the Spirit? Like wh- what is going on? Well, there definitely is an abiding, right? That I got to abide in Christ. I got to know God's Word. I got to sit in. I got to pray to the. I got to pray to God. Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to do a lot of work in me. And really, I think <laughs> even the photosynthesis meant to joke. It is. Uh, I think a lot of the cooperation does start with the fact that you are uh, sitting in relationship with God and allowing God to work in your life. But here's that the photosynthesis uh, illustration. Uh, that photosynthesis is going to uh, come in part by a conviction that you're doing something you ought not to be doing, right? That the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning sin, uh, righteousness, and judgment. And so even you say, okay, I'm abiding in Christ. Yeah, well, you're abiding in Christ, and then you recognize that, oh, man, I, I've been, as I'm reading God's word and praying to God, I realize that I'm doing this thing over here and it's sin. And then cooperating with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit just brought that to your attention. And now cooperating with him says, he has told me this. He's going to empower me to kill this. And now I'm going to walk in a different way. I'm going to put off this sin. I'm going to put on righteousness by practically staying away from that thing, spending my time doing something that honors the Lord instead of that thing that the Holy Spirit has brought up to me that is dishonoring to the Lord. 
I think that's extremely helpful. Now, did you do a sidebar in both services? You did it the nine. I can't remember. Okay. Well, I'll bring up the question anyway because everyone's like, what's the sidebar? We had a sidebar talking about our progressive sanctification. No, I don't think I did. Did I do this? Okay, go ahead. I didn't do this at the 11. Well, hey, they'll go to the 9 a.m. live stream and they'll see what we're talking about. But you challenged us in our progressive sanctification, our cooperation with the Spirit is the will of God is you breaking down 1 Thessalonians about Mm -hmm. our sanctification. It's to put it off sin and putting on right. righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit by following him, exactly what you said. Now, you challenged us at the nine to think about, you know, the way that we might not be qualified as deacons or as for men, elders, is because we aren't having... Some men. Some men. Not all men are even called to be elders. That, that's a, Yes, that's true. Not all men are called to be elders. But um, not all of us are, are qualified because we have not cooperated in the Spirit to control our... Right. In context of deacons, right? Mm-hmm. And I love that because the sidebar is, well, you know, I'm just not called to be a church leader like that. Okay, are you? I'm, I'm just going to read you the qualifications of a deacon in Scripture. First Timothy three eight. Are are you called to be dignified as a Christian? Yes. Are you called not to be double tongued? Yes. Are you called not to be addicted to much wine? Yes. Are you called not to be greedy for dishonest gain? Yes. Are we called to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience? Yes. Uh, are we called to be tested in our faith? Yes. Are we called uh, then are we called to serve? Yes. Okay, and then it says that we called to serve as deacons if they proved to be blameless. Are we called to be blameless as Christians? Yes. All right, I mean, that, that's and that's the whole point. It's like so many people are disqualified from church leadership simply because they're not uh, cooperating with the Spirit to be to be uh, uh, sanctified progressively. I mean, that's not like some crazy high bar for only the top-tier Christians. That's everybody's call. So then how should we approach this challenge? It's not like, okay, well, now I, sh- I, th- I think I should be a deacon now, so I want to work on this. How should we approach this kind of examination of ourselves through Scripture to say, like, okay, I'm not qualified, but what should I do? Should I do this so I can be qualified or for a different reason? Well, we should do this because we understand the reason why they were looking for deacons, because they they wanted leaders right, who could serve well uh, and be held in high esteem in the church as great examples of godliness who could also meet the needs of people in the church. And they weren't just going to let anybody do that because they needed to be people who exemplified and imitated the life of Christ. And so we don't want people serving in leadership positions in our church who don't exemplify and imitate the life of Christ. And so we have these qualifications here to say, this is how we follow Christ. And when we're doing that, you should be helping other people do that. All right, and as we're doing that, we're looking forward to something greater than this life. And that leads to point number three, to long for complete righteousness. Mm. Um, Your life group leaders went through question number five, and so I want you, Compass, to go through question five yourself. But I had another... Because question five has to do with that... Yes, it has to do with complete righteousness. Longing for complete righteousness. What does it look like in the daily attitude, disposition, and thought and action of, of a right. Christian? But I want to ask a, a different question okay. uh, for our church as a whole. You know, how, how does a certain the certain promise of complete righteousness in Christ change the way I view the brokenness of societal sin? You know, what should I stop doing when I look at societal sin? What should I stop doing and what should I start doing? What we actually do when oftentimes the Christian looks at the world's brokenness and the societal sin of our world is we just sit, we either complain about it, uh, we just we just mourn over it, which I think mourning over it is good and is right and is a correct response, but we just mourn over it, we complain about it, uh, we focus on it, 
we uh, th- th- that's what we do. What we should do is allow those realities to uh, prick our hearts and help us long for complete righteousness. I, when you see the bad things, you say, "Lord." Uh, Maranatha, right? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Like, come on. Like, I want you back. Like the the psalmist that said, you know, in the beginning of my sermon there, uh, what text was I in? Psalm 42. When shall I come up here before God? I mean, that's the question we ask. When do I get to be with God? I mean, that's the question we should ask when it comes to societal sin. When do I get to be with God? And that's what it should do. When I see those brokenness in our world, I should pray for it, right? I should pray for people to come to know Christ. I I should pray for the relief, uh, depending on the situation of uh, a broken group of people or uh, people who are being uh, mistreated. Uh, But what it should do in the life of the Christian is to say, Lord, come. I can't wait to be with you. Uh, Is there an action that we need to take with some of this? Of course there is, right? We need to take care of the needs of people, particularly the household of faith is what scripture says. So we don't just sit there and eat our popcorn and say, man, can't wait for Jesus to come back. Uh, but what we do is we say, God, what is helpful that I can do in this world? And just complaining about it isn't helpful. But allowing your thoughts to disposition, attitude, and actions to be changed through the way that you look forward to and long for complete righteousness is a great place for the Christian to start. I think one way to kind of help tease out an answer for for you, Compass, is to think, what, what did Paul do? He looked at it. And he fulfilled his mission to make disciples. Yep. When he looked at the the eternity of Christ, is like I I know to to die would be better, but I'm here and alive now. Right. But before your benefit, yep. so I want to teach you and train you until I die. Yep. Because I look forward to glorification. But I know that I'm alive right now because I need to teach you. Because I'm here for a purpose. And I'd like to think about that. Remember, I did call out the post millennialists in both. And we love you guys. And we love you guys. Love you. Uh, but to think we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna usher in the kingdom, but you say, well, what good can I do in society? Well, who are the people who are gonna live righteous lives? Christians, disciples, Christians, right? Christian disciples. So if you ask, well, what can I do with this broken world? Make disciples, right? That's what our post millennial brothers will say. Get out there making disciples. Start doing these good things. Start legislating change, and you can legislate change primarily through making disciples, planning churches, raising up leaders, the Great Commission. Yeah, and so it doesn't matter if you're post-mill, all-mill, pre-mill. We all got the same mission. And if you know, you know. If you have questions about that, come talk to us. Yeah. But we have the, we all have the same agreement and unification to say we're here to make disciples. Right. So that's why we're united. So here we are. Speaking of unification, this is actually a terrible segue. All right, moving to application <laughs> question direction. I was trying to be clever and yeah. cute, but then I, I failed. Didn't work. I was as prickly as a cactus. Yeah, prickly as a prickly pear. Cactus. All right, what direction do you have for us for the application questions this week? A good direction. Well, first I'll do them. Do them. Be prepared for life group. Be prepared. Love your neighbor by being prepared. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, talk on that. Like When you do your application questions and the other people in your life group do their application questions, they're actually applying the sermon and the Bible to their life. And then as you guys are meeting and you start saying, well, this is how I'd apply this. And they think, I never thought about that. I sh- that's a really good point. When you guys do the work beforehand, you are honoring one another, and you're also cooperating with the Spirit, boom, uh, by being sanctified in your own life, by taking time 
in your week to prepare for your application question or prepare for your life group through your application questions. But you're also able to help one another and spur one another on to love and good works as scripture teaches us to do. All right, I think that's some good direction right there. There it is. Yeah, there you go. All right, Pastor Aiden, what's uh, what are uh, what are a couple of resources that might be a benefit for our, our church to kind of help us to hunger and thirst for yeah. righteousness? Two. Two. One, The Hole in Our Holiness by Kevin DeYoung. It's actually a pastor's pick right now in it our is. bookstore. And uh, it actually goes along nicely with the sermon of our need to pursue progressive holiness. And then uh, the second one that you recommended is Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney. It's also in the bookstore, and it's going to help you put into practice uh, a lot of spiritual disciplines that will help you cooperate with the Spirit. Discipline without direction is drudgery. Is that what he says? first line of the book. There it is. It's a very good book. All right, Pastor Hayden, we have a lot going on in just a few weeks. What's happening? All right, in 30 seconds, church-wide outreach on April the 1st from 9.30 to 1 p.m. We want everybody at our church to be there. Let's Let's reach souls for Jesus Christ. Let's get people and invite them to church and let's share the gospel. And then Easter weekend, we have Good Friday. That Friday, we have those services at 4.30 and 6 p.m. April 7th. We get to celebrate and uh, have, have a somber reality about the death of Jesus and also the reality that we know Sunday's coming. We know that the grave is empty, and we'll celebrate Easter Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. On April the 9th. On April the 9th. And then we will ha- celebrate our Easter annual Easter celebration that day after the 11 a.m. service. And again, invite, invite, invite. Next week, we're going to commit to passing out a bunch of these flyers that we have too, so you can take them out and invite people. And finally, we have our Family Matters Conference April 15th. It's coming, and you can register at compasshillcountry.org. Don't forget to register. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to be equipped on how to have a biblical uh, worldview of your home in God's uh, plan. And so... Uh, oh, last night, uh, last announcement, register for baptisms. We have a lot of people registering for baptisms already. And if you have not been baptized by immersion and you are saved, you turn from your sins, place your trust in Jesus Christ, it is time for you to follow through in the believer's first obedience. That's his first. It's we're going to go now do what Christ commanded us to do, and that is to be baptized. We're doing, we're doing that on April 23rd. Don't wait. Register now at compasshillcountry.org slash baptism. Don't wait. Let's celebrate. Don't wait. Let's celebrate. All right, church. We love you. We look forward to seeing you guys this week.